Welcome to the People First Leaders Podcast. My name is Doug Utberg, Marine Corps veteran, founder CEO of ExpenserDeuce.com, and I have absolutely nothing to sell you. The purpose of this commercial-free show is to honor the leaders who approach life as go-givers by putting their people and customer value first. Stick around until the end of the show, and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in about 20 minutes. Let's go. Before we get going, a little bit of introduction. This podcast exists for one purpose, and that is to bring founders and CFOs the tools that they need to increase profits without layoffs. I am the host, Doug Utberg, and you're listening to a Terminal Value Podcast. We have Zach Schaefer with us today, and what we are going to be talking about is diplomatic disagreement to obliterate dysfunctional teams. Because especially when we're talking about the business domain, dysfunctional teams are probably the number one hidden cost that every company has. And the reason why it's a hidden cost is because payroll burn rate keeps going no matter how much you produce. If it is millions, billions of dollars in value, or if it's zero, or if it's negative, your payroll burn keeps going. And the primary thing that stands in the way of most companies from producing more value is when they have teams that don't work together very well. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Zach, or Dr. Z, as you like to say, please introduce yourself and let's get the conversation rolling. My name is Zach Schaefer, founder, CEO of a management consulting firm called Spark to Discussion. We help companies solve people problems from hire to retire with a huge focus around conflict resolution, conflict management. What would you say is the number one issue that you encounter? Well, in terms of conflict or just operational development in general. I'm sure you probably don't get pulled in when the teams are getting along. I'm sure that by the time you see teams, they're not at the at the point of all-out war, but there's usually a considerable amount of tension. Based on my corporate experience, I found that time when external help gets pulled in is usually about three to nine months after it should have been engaged. Usually the problem is significantly developed before there's help that's brought in. So in terms of managing conflict, it's always a rescue mission. It's never a reconnaissance mission. When things are going well, we're making money. Everybody's happy singing Kumbaya. They're not reaching out to me for that particular service. The number one problem is lack of clarity, lack of accountability. And that usually starts at the top and trickles down. Uh huh. Let's unpack some of those ideas because this is one of my personal bugaboos from my career experience. Because when you say lack of clarity, lack of accountability, what I've found is that in a lot of cases, People get held accountable to unmeasurable expectations. I would say that's one problem. A more foundational problem is not knowing what our expectations are or shifting our expectations, not communicating that shift to others along the way. Yeah. The joke that I used to tell was that you're trying to succeed in a corporate management system is about learning and implementing an unwritten set of rules that constantly change without notice, which of course is exactly the recipe for how to create a high conflict team. Part of what ties into that, accountability is simple. It's honoring the commitments that we've agreed to in the workplace. If we don't have clarity, it's hard to be accountable. Why aren't people accountable? Because that's a really difficult conversation. It's easy to have performance accountability conversations. You're not meeting KPIs. You aren't hitting your core competencies. Mm -hmm. It's tough to have behavioral accountability conversations. Those are the leading indicators that eventually lead to those problematic areas down the line. And people walk on eggshells or just usually avoid those conversations altogether. 
even when you're talking about performance accountability, it gets a little harder when you have either more strategic roles or longer cycle time roles or something that's, say, based on influence of senior management, because how do you measure that in a quantifiable way? It's one of the things I found is that a lot of those things tend to be subjective. So your performance rating depends very greatly on who is representing you in the rating and ranking conversation. You're pulling on a ton of things that are just different puzzle pieces of an organizational culture within performance. Is it tied to compensation, promotion, and advancement yeah. or separate? Are we meeting once a year and calling it a formal performance appraisal? Or do we have ongoing huddles and informal chats mm -hmm. along the way? Is it actually an opportunity for improvement and feedback? Or is it a check the box mentality? Yeah, we did that. Let's move on. Like there's a lot going on in those conversations, but that's not even where the majority of the conflict or disagreement comes from. Usually okay. it's operational work where different business units are having to work cross-functionally uh -huh. and there's a lot of silos and improper or unaccessible sharing of information. Let's go down the silos and sharing of information because this is another one that's kind of a big deal. There will usually be a certain number of people in every organization that, that basically know how all the pieces work together and usually none of it's written down. So that means that anytime there needs to be troubleshooting, something needs to be fixed, something needs to be found, this person is the one who knows how to go do it. Now, and to be fair, in a lot of cases, these people would be willing to document what they know, but it would usually take months to years in highly complex systems. And there are very few companies that are willing to let somebody devote that much time to documentation. What I've noticed is that a lot of times you'll have certain people that just because they know how all the pieces connect together, end up in this position where they're sort of unmovable, as in you can't move them up and you can't move them out. They're just sort of permanently entrenched where they are. And I think that can actually be really destructive because it inhibits their development, but it also, it also slows the ability of the organization to pivot. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. That's first of all, if somebody's doing that strategically, that's nothing new. That's very old. It's ensuring that you're irreplaceable. If I know how to fix the machine and I don't share that information yeah. with others, they can't get rid of me. So that's just, you know, institutional knowledge hoarding. But what we find is anytime there's an informal or formal policy and procedure that's been created around a single mm -hmm. person, that's a problem. Yeah. You've used the term systems, I'd call them processes. But if we're doing cross-functional projects where marketing's having to deal with engineering and finance, we can't be having a single person be a bottleneck process. So Got for it. me, that's organizational design uh -huh. much more so than an individual personality. And the other thing I'd add, we're talking mostly about like org structure stuff. How, how do we design an effective system? Huge part of this is human personality, human emotions, status, power, prestige, authority. Again, when there's a lack of clarity in a system, what I see on large, large companies, so 500 or more headcount working cross-functionally, mm -hmm. nobody knows who owns what, what piece of what project. Yeah. And we all make assumptions and then we fill those assumptions with negativity usually. Yeah. Another thing I've noticed is that when people don't know who owns what, usually there's more than one person who, who owns one thing, either in practicality or at least in their own perception. I would agree. And what we typically see is when there's two names in a single box, it's going to create problems. Yeah. I disagree with Doug, but there, I know I have two bosses, so to speak. Cool. I'll go over to Carl and have a conversation with yeah. him and I bet I could get him to see yeah. my view. It creates layers of disagreement that we yeah. don't even know exist. The, the one that I saw all the time at Intel would be you'd have different people who would have, quote, managerial P&Ls, which meant it was something that you couldn't map back to 
a profit center on the general ledger. They were bits and pieces from here and there. Well, when you add up everybody's managerial P&Ls, you found out that the total revenue was greater than the amount that rolled up to the total org unit because people were (laughs) counting overlapping amounts of revenue. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, well, this is all nonsense. (laughs) Trust any of it then. A lot of that's quantifiable, clearly, when you're talking dollars and cents, P&Ls and accounting. But even in terms of human behaviors, you said it's subjective. It is, but that's usually because people don't want to put in the time and energy to figure out how can we measure behaviors, because that's real hard to figure out how do we actually quantify the leading indicators or behaviors that help us get to or not get to our lagging goals. That takes in-depth conversations and and creativity to figure out which levers, the behavior levers, help us achieve our goals and which ones permit and how do we reward those behaviors. Let's unpack that a little bit. How do you do that? It just depends, right? Because again, we do, we offer a variety of different services. So if we're talking pure conflict management, which is where we started, yeah, we probably wouldn't be digging in there. If we're talking change management, that's a different story. That's where we'd look at operational processes, scoreboards, which behaviors do we think are drivers of our goals versus blockers of our goals. Mm-hmm. And it would depend on the organization and the team, the team outcome that we're striving for. But it's literally about getting people in the room and doing a current state analysis to figure out what's going wrong, why do we think that's going wrong, what needs to change in order to head back in the right direction. Usually they'll want to be talking about results. Great. What behaviors do we need to shift to help us move in that direction? Uh Oh, log over here. He's a bit of a micromanager. He doesn't trust others. He wants all the responsibility for himself and isn't delegating effectively. That would be something we could then begin to dig in and put, put a metric around. The cousin to that is the people who talk at the ethereal 10,000 foot layer and never dig into any of the the necessary details for execution. Because just like everybody, I've encountered both. A hundred percent. And strategy is fun because there's something called planning euphoria. It's it's theoretical, right? It's a game plan. It's about operating consistently, executing that. And that's where communication, conflict, all the nasty wishy-washy gray stuff, emotions comes in that most leadership teams don't like dealing with. Yeah. One of my favorite lines I've ever heard was that it's not a strategy until it's broken all the way down into an operational plan. Until there's an execution operational plan, you don't have a strategy. You just have a wish. Wish, hope, an idea. even Even when you break it down into mission, strategy, objectives, daily tactics, operating tactics versus policy level. You still have to do it. You still have to consistently do it. That's where a lot of my work is, is in the execution. That's where things break down. It's less in strategizing piece. For me personally, I'm a weirdo and I love conflict. Conflict just means disagreement. People do it in different ways. There's healthy versus unhealthy. But usually what I find is you get into the room and we have perceptions of why we think somebody's upset about something and it's totally wrong. And they haven't had a single conversation about it, right? They just had video silence. And that's what happens with litigation. So when we're doing our conflict management stuff with executive teams, you know, our little pitch phrase is when it's beyond the scope and skills of your HR and you don't want it to escalate to legal, that's when we work with leadership teams to help them get back on track and better align. It's interesting you mentioned that because in a lot of cases, executive people don't necessarily want to bring in an external vendor. You know, it's going to be costs, it's going to be time. If the alternative is litigation, I guarantee you that even a one half percent chance of avoiding litigation will be a net value positive trade. 
And not just the cost of litigation. These the are business. It's time. The time. And then if it actually goes to a trial, then the public knowledge of all kinds of private yeah. communication. Like there's a lot of layers there. No one wants another adult to tell them what to do. And that's not my style of facilitation in that setting. But it's like, hey, how's life going for you? Yeah. Oh, real well. Well, why are we having this conversation? Like figure it out on your own if you can. Obviously, there's there's problems and you're not able to. I don't yeah. solve your problem. I help create a process where we can communicate professionally and effectively. You all solve the problem. I just create yeah. an environment for it. When the, the tensions are really heightened, and usually that happens with the more zeros you add on to projects. Yeah. You can't expect people to be their best when they're at their worst. Yeah. I saw that with tens of hours as a divorce mediator and employment mediator. When we're under the veil of unfriendly conflict, aggressive conflict, we see the world as we are, not as it is. And so yeah. having a true neutral, and it could be an internal person. It could be HR or somebody internally that's not involved. You need to get clarity, neutrality, objectivity. And then, the, but they're different styles, right? Some mediators or facilitators come in and they're like an ex-judge. They'll listen to the case yeah. and then say, here's what I see. Here's what you should do. That's called evaluative. Uh -huh. And there's, there's pros to that. I'm a little more facilitative. I always say, I don't have dogs in this hunt. It is what it is. I'm here to help establish communication and not tell you what to do. I'll be direct and give some some insights, but at the end of the day, it's your business. I'm a communication expert, not in whatever widget or service you're. Um, so for me, communication is one of the most important but overlooked tools in the workplace. And it's just, it's no different than diet, nutrition, yeah. working out. We all know how to do these things, yes. but doing them consistently over and over seems to be challenging for some reason. And so with behaviors, it's like we got, that's where on the coaching side of things, we get very laser specific on what behavior we're looking to eliminate and what behavior we're looking to amplify. Uh -huh. And oftentimes that, that crosses over to conflict, right? Usually an executive's having conflict and the CEO says they either change this or they're out the door. They're aware of that. And then we do hyper-focused behavioral coaching around that. God. I'm going to take us in a little bit of a tangent because you mentioned that you were previously in divorce mediation. Mm -hmm. I find that fascinating that it's kind of issued over, over to corporate conflict. Yeah. I completely see the bridge, but I would love to understand kind of what round have been the most directly analogous and what parts have you found that are kind of more different or differentiated? People believe their beliefs. People, when they are under the spell of highly charged emotions, see the world as they are. Their story is the only, there's literally, it's like, here's what happened. Any conversation is always three at once. What happened? Your emotions, your identity. When there's a huge conflict, divorce, things like that, mm -hmm. or corporate issues, our emotions are always there, even if we think they're not. I think you have the old Tammy Wynette song, we live in a two-story house, my story and his story. Yeah. <laughs> And so there's, with mediation, again, when I do my corporate stuff, it's always facilitation. It's not mediation. But when you're working with people to find common ground and help them talk, that's all that's going on there. It's, there's at least three stories in the room. And then it's, there's one A story, B story, and then the third story, the in-between. Mm -hmm. And I help them recognize that. But then the more stakeholders you add, the more stories. And it actually gets exponential at that point. But the huge thing is most people want to do a good job. They actually want yeah. to get this. They usually don't have an in-depth hate for someone, but they have a hate for how they're feeling and they don't know how to address it on their own or they wouldn't. So with divorce, here's how it always started. If there were kids involved, act like this is a picture of the kid in the first three minutes, 
all that matters is Johnny. Johnny's what's important. And I say, take that picture out and put it on the table. Great. How long do you think it took before they were cussing at each other over the assets? I'm going to say 10 minutes. 30 seconds. Okay. Same thing in corporate, but instead of it being Johnny, it's my pet project, my department, my silo. It's the same thing. It's just different context. So it's really helping people back out, see a different angle, see a bigger picture, find common ground, you know, and it's not like they all resume marriage or that everybody becomes buddy, buddy, but it's like, let's agree to what we can solve in this room. And then what we can't, that's okay too. People get ramped up in their emotions. Mm -hmm. And even if you've got things layered out, bullet pointed, they want to jump from one idea to the next. In an emotionally charged discussion, you have to talk about one thing at a time. You can't talk about yeah. 10 once. It's not a fact. Well, the thing that I find fascinating yet completely believable about what you're saying is that we're talking about some of the smartest, most advanced people in the world, but at some level, we all still revert to juvenile behaviors. Is there an exit path or is that just an inevitable part of the human condition? Both and is a part of the human condition, but I also know that we can condition ourselves to change our behavior. Now, mm -hmm. do we change internally, like how we actually think or the mindset that we have? Well, potentially, right? But we can absolutely shift our behaviors, how we express yeah. some of those thoughts. I see that not just in the workplace, but in all kinds of personal relationships as well. Uh -huh. When you said juvenile, I would just say, I'd switch it to primal. Okay. So on the primal to professional spectrum, we're in corporate America. Let's be professional. Here's how we're supposed to disagree. But sometimes it shifts back to that primal where those emotions are more raw and they come out. And yet it can be labeled juvenile, but to me, it's just part of who we are. But we've created these contexts where we put on our masks and our uniforms and uh -huh. we can only communicate in certain ways when it might be better to just come out and say something much more direct in a situation, but we just don't. Right. I do think there is a lack of directness. I think yeah. we, in general, the sensitivity radars are really up for folks, especially if we don't have trust with the people on our teams. Yeah. So when Doug would say something, I will immediately be like, well, he said this, it, a negative connotation. That to me is a red flag. There's a lack of trust and cohesiveness on a team and you ain't going to achieve what you're capable of until that gets addressed. I apologize. I keep taking us down rabbit trails, but this oh, is man, fascinating. Like We're talking about the trust and cohesiveness. That sounds so easy. How do you cross that bridge? Candid conversations. It depends on how far down the trust ladder you've fallen. Yeah. Have an organization that literally they collect what they call ammo on their team members. So they observe and they write things down. Well, that's going to take a different level of intervention and commitment than just like, you know, Doug did this and it pissed me off and I didn't like it. And I don't know if I can trust him to work on this kind of client in the future. Well, that's different, right? That yeah. just takes a direct conversation. That other one, that's going to involve some, what I'd call business therapy, where you're digging in to figure out not just what, who, how, and when, but the big one, why, yeah. where, and usually when there is an entire team of people behaving a certain way, the majority of the time, that's not a people problem. That's a leadership and systems problem. They've created yeah. a system or allowed a system to perpetuate that's very toxic or very dysfunctional. And even if they are performing well, they could be performing so much better if they yeah. address. So that would be through a series of very direct conversations, but it'd be working with someone to figure out, do we have one-to-ones? Do we have a conversation with th these three people first? Do we get the whole group together 
to really design an effective communication cadence to determine how do we reestablish the trust. In your observation, what percentage are people problem versus leadership problems? Well, that would be under the assumption that leaders are not people. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So as in people at the execution layer problem or people at the leadership level problem? I mean, communication is a two-way street for a reason. Yeah. Usually there's going to be problems from both. Now, if we're brought in, it isn't the operating manager paying my fee to bring me in. It's yeah. the lead, right? So what do they typically say? We got a problem. We don't know what it is. Usually I'm dealing with CEOs, CEO. Yeah. Never once have I heard, we got a big problem here. Here was my contribution. Here's the system that I helped set up that's led to this. Very, I mean, maybe it's happened, but I don't recall. So I would say usually it's going to be both. And I would probably put a little bit more needle towards the leadership team. Mm -hmm. Um, especially and, if they're a high growth organization, they're yeah. not about the people side of things as much. And they let that fall through the cracks until it's too late. Yeah. Now there are toxic personalities. Sometimes people are not good fits in companies and, and that's bad for them personally and yeah. it's bad for everyone around them. How do you successfully navigate getting somebody who is the one paying you to see their contribution to the problem? My observation is that when someone's writing you a check, there's an implicit assumption that you're not going to be telling me what I'm doing wrong because I'm paying you. Yeah, that's two things. One, that's the vetting process. So when okay. people say they want to work with me, we're real specific. I'm not cashing your check if you're bringing me in to fire a bunch of people. So there's certain things we do and don't do, but that's nice to where I'm at in my business. I don't have to take business if yeah. I don't want it. Things are good. Disclaimers early on. If you're bringing me in and it's about behaviors, communication, mm -hmm. conflict, leadership, which really is communication behaviors, and we determine that you are part of that problem, are you willing to admit that and address yeah. the issues and change? We have that conversation early on as part of our fitting and vetting mm -hmm. process. At the end of the day, you know, we serve at the pleasure of the president. So like when we give our feedback and we offer suggestions, we don't know if they're going to change or not, if it's not a longitudinal project, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So... That's kind of how we do that up front. But our coaching projects are very specific, very unique coaching. We don't get paid unless the behaviors that we identify change and you don't pay us until after 12 months. So our terms and conditions are real unique. We have total oh, skin. Interesting. That's a rare also, type of offering. We don't just let anyone work with us. We have to, the people that we're working with are successful, competitive. They want to get better. And we have established a process where we're able to identify that in the first 60 days. And then if they don't like me as well, then we can part ways as friends and they get a bunch of data. But for me, it's all about that vetting and mm -hmm. knowing what you want and how you work. But oh, I'll that's... tell you, Bud, when I, being a divorce mediator, I've seen parents ripping the kids away, moving away because they don't like somebody. Like I've seen people at their worst and it's not pretty. Yeah. The corporate stuff, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's just less stressful for me. Yeah. Personally. Zach, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, give us your last one to two thoughts. And then let people know where they can learn some more. I just say focus on communication. Mm -hmm. Think about in your life, what are the missing conversations? The key conversations that you are not having in the personal life or professional life. And think about why and how you could maybe jumpstart one of those to lead to some improvement personally uh -huh. or in business. In terms of contacting me, I'm on LinkedIn. You can search Zach Schaefer. The website, sparkthediscussion.com. On Twitter, my handle's at SparkSolver. Dr. Zach, I really appreciate it. Yeah, Doug, thanks for having me on, man. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. 
What I would like you to do right now is if you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And also visit us online at Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash terminal value and then let me know your thoughts. I want to know what did you like? What didn't you like? What can I create next that will bring value to you? And also feel free to visit us at terminalvaluepodcast.com where you can leave a review and where you can see all the places where this podcast is published. I really appreciate your time and I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the People First Leaders podcast. If you are a successful People First founder or CEO who would like to be on this show, please visit peoplefirstleaders.net forward slash guest. If this interview resonated, would you please share it on social media? Just take a quick screenshot on your phone and post it on your favorite social channel. Then make sure to tag me at Doug Value so I can give you and your business a shout out on a future episode. If you know somebody who'd be a great guest, please tag them on social and include the hashtag PeopleFirstLeaders. I really love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're releasing new content and episodes all the time, so make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me personally. And also, I would like to connect with you on social. My handle is at Doug Value, or you can just go to peoplefirstleaders.net where all of the links are posted. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.